everyone. This is Beth and Jeff McCord, and this is your Enneagram Coach, the podcast, where we're here to help you to understand yourself with astonishing clarity so that you can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. Well, here we are again in another Q&A episode where Beth and I have taken some questions that have been submitted to us. If you're interested in submitting a question, be sure to email us at info at com, and maybe our team will pick your question. All right, well, let's start with Melanie. She has a question that says, as a mother, I identify with type eight and I struggle with anger and child rearing. What are some emotional calming strategies when dealing with my children? especially in isolation. Can I teach my children to not be angry all the time when I'm doing, trying my best to not show anger to them? Wow. That's a really good question. You know, there's a lot of things that go into why we would be more agitated or experience more anger in situations like these. And sometimes we don't have good relationships with our anger Mm -hmm. and it comes out sideways. So in a lot of this situation, just give yourself a lot of kindness. Number one, recognizing we... Anger is an emotion that seeks justice and it seeks control. It gives us energy to move. And whenever we're feeling so powerless, so helpless, it's understandable that we just trying to get the world to calm down so that we can take a deep breath and relax. But it just seems like such heightened anxiety, both uh, culturally and then um, medically. It's just so difficult right now. So give yourself a lot of compassion. But as an eight, there are some thoughts that uh, Beth and I have for you. Yeah. And recognize that your anger is coming out because you have a very specific perspective on life and the situation at hand. You know, for me as a type nine, my kids could uh, hit my nuclear button but probably for a very different reason than other types. So an example would be, let's say I ask the kids to clean up the kitchen in the summer when they're teenagers. Um, during the summer, yeah, during the summer, there's kind of laying around and I got to go upstairs and work. And then I come down five hours later and it looks the same. Well, what hits me is I feel overlooked. I feel like my presence doesn't matter. My voice doesn't matter. Because if it did, they would have listened and they would have done it. It's a very nine way of thinking. And it really hurts. And it gets me upset inside or frustrated because nines usually say, I'm just frustrated. I'm irritated. Um, But ultimately, it's really anger. And for me to recognize why I got hurt, why I got angry, it allows me to express myself in a different way. So As I learned more about myself, I was able to say stuff like, hey, guys, you know what? I know that you're enjoying your summer and you probably, you know, just forgot. But it really landed on me that I don't matter to you. And now I'm sure that's not true, but that's it just really hurt. And I would love it that when I do ask you for help, that you actually do it and you're mindful and that you actually show me care by doing it. Even though you probably don't want to, I get it. Or if something comes up that you at least acknowledge that I asked and that you ask for different permission or we talk it through, but recognizing what's going on for each other's from each other's perspective, those core motivations is super helpful. So for you as a type eight, you're probably going to be struggling and you're going to get activated because maybe there's injustice. Maybe someone's not uh, being kind to someone and that you feel like you need to protect them. There's a lot of ways for an eight or you're feeling uh, challenged by your kids, uh, controlled by their behavior. So what is it that is activating you? 
first look at what is going on and why, and that will give you a framework to be able to talk to them in a specific way, but also be curious about why they're doing what they're doing and ask good curious questions. Here's something that I quickly began to pick up on. Uh, So I was not raised by Christian parents. Um, And whenever I became a father, uh, I knew that I wanted to do something different. Um, And so I quickly realized, though, that uh, I didn't have all the tools that I needed to be the best father that I wanted to be. And number two is that my children were going to be a significant invitation to growing in my relationship with Jesus because I was never going to do it perfect. And here's the good and bad news. There'll never be a day where you won't need Jesus as a parent. You'll always be dependent upon Him to show up with insight, with encouragement, with affirmation in a way that you don't deserve. So there are a lot of uh, calming techniques, such as, I mean, just stepping away for a moment, there are breathing exercises. But the real work of this is not to simply try to calm your anger down, but to understand the source of it. And as I've said in other podcasts, your problem's not your problem, your problem is your perspective on the problem. What if your children becoming angry at one another or with you is the opportunity for you to help coach them in understanding their anger and knowing what to do with it. And just by virtue of trying to be the best parent that you can, you're going to learn a lot about yourself in order to be the best for your children. That's great. And I think, you know, once we know our heart and we know what's going on, we can more easily, not, I'm not saying this is easy, but more easily apologize when our anger does come out sideways and it's hurtful. And we can let our kids know, not making excuses, not blame shifting, but being honest and saying, hey guys, when I asked you to do the dishes and for five hours, you didn't even do it. You just kept watching Netflix really hurt. And here's why, but I got angry at you in this specific way. And I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And so that kids are looking for leadership from their parents. And the best way we can lead them is by owning our own stuff, apologizing and resting fully on the gospel that we are freed in him. Our next question comes from Gianna, and she says, how can different types use their unique abilities, perspectives, traits, and talents to bring their non-believing friends to Christ? I'm a four, and I'd like to think my ability to deeply empathize with the inner world of emotions and others' experience would allow me to be a conduit for Christ to meet them in that space. But evangelism is just such a hard and scary thing to do sometimes, even when trying to put it into context with something as relatable and personal as emotional vulnerability. How can I use my strengths as a four to share the gospel with others? I think that's a fantastic idea. And I I love that because it is true, as we talk about in each and every podcast, the Enneagram reveals a couple of different things. Number one, it reveals what we are longing for. And number two, it basically is suggesting that there's no way of fully and completely satisfying that need. It doesn't prescribe any resolution to it. It simply just says that these are the core longings that each type has. Well, one of the things that uh, passages that Beth and I use a lot is Jeremiah 2.13. Um, 
And in Jeremiah 2, 3, it says, my people have committed two sins. Um, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so the principle is this, that people give themselves to, put their trust in, or give their identity to what they believe will give them life. That's each Enneagram type is trying to find a life apart from Jesus. And we're going to try to satisfy these core longings. And so in some ways, the Enneagram is a simple and reasonable tool, and particularly for you as a type four to understand what it means to long with intensity, what it means to have delayed gratification, but to know the sweetness and beauty of whenever we do receive some kind of care or attention that attunes to our longings. Now, as for a four, What you may find is that traditional ideas of what evangelism looks like, whether that be preaching on a street corner or sharing a track, I think there is a much greater spectrum of opportunities for us to do evangelism. What if, I mean, I've heard of some fours that in light of what's happened in this past year of our nation or or the globe, is that they would regularly create something of beauty for their home. And as a four, what would it look like to use hospitality and care as an opportunity to reflect something of who Christ is for us in the gospel, and then simply putting words to it whenever the conversation goes in that direction? So don't get caught up in a traditional way or a prescribed way of evangelism. Use your creativity, use your attunement to people's longings, and be so attuned that whenever they are so free to talk to you about what their desires are and know how Christ satisfies them. Yeah, I think that's so important because, you know, what usually happens for all of us, we go, we listen to sermons or we read books and they tell us how to live. And the overall principle might be really great, but the application or the practices might not land on your type in the exact way that you need it. So in evangelism for all nine types, what, where do you shine? How, how do you relate to others that really draws them out and allows you to introduce them to Christ in a variety of ways. So just think through how did God create you uniquely and bless others in that way. All right. We have a question from Angela. How did Jeff figure out that he was actually a six and not an eight? (laughs) That was funny. That's a, that's a great question. Uh, So when Beth and I were first introduced to the Enneagram, um, our friends had given us uh, Richard Rohr's book, a Christian perspective on the Enneagram. And I briefly read through it. I skimmed it. We were in seminary at the time and I was reading a couple of books a week. And so I skimmed it. Beth devoured it. It really helped to answer some questions for her. And I quickly aligned my heart with an eight. Now, what was your thought at the time? No, actually, I I came to you saying, hey, you know, I think type six is more like you and my mom's a type six. And this really sounds a lot, you know, like you, what do you think? (laughs) My mom and my husband are very different people on the outside. Um, very much. And so he was like, there's no way I am the same personality type as your mom. We're very different, which I totally understood what he was saying. And so he went in and read it and it was like, Nope, I'm an eight. That's what you landed on for years. 
in my heart, and I, I would assume that this is true for other people as well as it relates to the Enneagram, the Enneagram is very exposing. And so to align yourself with the type sometimes in order to protect ourselves from feeling vulnerable, we'll uh, identify as a type because that's who we want to be and that's who we uh, think, who how we think we'll be safe. And so for me, it meant I was focusing on some of my more rebellious, independent, strong-willed behaviors through my life. And it wasn't until a few years later, we were doing a pastoral intensive at Dallas Theological Seminary, and I had kind of mapped out my story on in terms of highs and lows and spiritual growth and spiritual lows. And one of the things that I quickly identified with the therapist there was a person was always associated with uh, my growth. Different people would come into my life really as, as gifts, providential gifts from my father in heaven to help me. And what the therapist then reflected back to me is that, Hey Jeff, this sounds more like a six whose heart finds security and rest in the presence of an attuned authority. Ugh, I was caught. So the idea of why I wanted to be an aid is that I didn't want to be dependent upon people. And I wanted to be stronger. I wanted to feel provocative. But really what was behind those was anxiety and wanting to feel secure. All those other things were simply ways that I tested people to see if they were going to be loyal to me. And the way that I was trying to be an eight, eights aren't that way. Um, That's one of the things that comes up. Beth talks about it some because some counterphobic sixes, which is what I am, or think they're eights. But the reality is is that they're different. They practice those behaviors for a different reason. Yeah. And so if we're just going to take, you know, kind of a 30,000 foot view of six and eights, the sixes, their core fear is to not have security, guidance and support, be blamed and targeted. They're wanting security, guidance and support, but they struggle with the core weakness of anxiety. Now, all types can be anxious, Um, But sixes are scanning the horizon to plan and predict uh, negative outcomes, especially worst case scenarios. But they doubt themselves for what is true and the right path because they have this inner committee in their mind that is giving them all different advice, directions, what ifs. And so it creates self-doubt. So they look outside themselves for someone they trust or belief system they trust to guide them to security. The eight is the opposite. Now, the eights, they actually, so the six mindset is, I can't trust myself. And so they look for someone else. The eight mindset is, oh, I don't trust others. I only trust myself. So the eight fears being um, harmed, controlled, manipulated, and at the mercy of injustice, and they want to protect themselves and those closest to them, but they'll use the core weakness of lust or excess to plow a path for them in order to get what they want. Now, so they trust their gut, they believe it's right and they move forward like, you know, just like a snowplow. The six is again, they don't trust themselves and they look for outside guidance. So that's a big difference. And when Jeff started to realize it, it helped him to land on six. 
Well, guys, we have loved having this time with you and answering your questions. If you have a question and you want us to answer it on the podcast, then email us at info at your and yours might be selected by our team. And always remember, the Enneagram reveals our need for Jesus, not our need to work harder. It's the gospel that transforms us. Thanks for joining us.